If you have your Bible, open up with me to Hebrew chapter 2. Hebrew chapter 2, we're going to read from verse 5 to verse 13. If you're new, we're currently in a series called Hebrew. It's going to be, um, I think, 28 series long, 28 episodes long, but we'll see. So it's going to take about probably about two years to finish it. And if you missed the first two, don't worry. We have it available for you online at www.sydney.org.au. You can listen to the audio or read the script, okay? And starting from today, you will also have the video. So if you missed out and you want to catch up, do that. But I'll try to make it as if, even, even though you missed the first two sermons, that you'll be able to understand today's sermon. Okay, we're going to read together from Hebrew chapter 2, verse 5 to verse 18. Okay, in count of three, yeah? We read it together. One, two, three. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by grace of God, he might taste that for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, shall make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am and the children has, has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. All right, so tonight's sermon, I titled it, Our Champion, Our Brother. Come on, say, say to your neighbor, Our Champion, our brother, okay? Say it to, you, to your neighbor, come on. Shake their shake the hand, make sure they know. Tonight we're going to talk about our champion and our brother. It will make more sense after I finish the sermon. But before we go there, can we do the thing that we used to do a lot of time in the back in the UTS? All right, I'm going to say if you love Jesus or if you think Jesus is good, make some noise and you just begin to make whatever noise you want. Okay, let's try that one more time, yeah? If you love Jesus in this place, make some noise! Okay, let's try one more time. If you think Jesus is good in your life, make some noise. All right. I want us to be excited in church, all right? Church is a place of excitement where you get to hear God speak to you. So anytime you want to say amen, shout out amen. Now some of us are like, amen. All right? don't, you don't have to shout, say it in your heart. You can actually say it with your mouth. In fact, it makes me happy when you actually say something and respond rather than, mm, mm, okay? Say something nice to me, okay? But let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the word of God that we just read because we know your word has power. We know your word 
has the ability to transform anyone, even the worst of sinners. And that's our hope tonight, Lord. As we listen to your word, as we study your word, that you, Holy Spirit, may translate these words, that human words, into a revelation. That you shine light in our hearts and enable us to see you for who you are. That tonight we want to learn that you are our champion. That you are our brother. So help us to understand this, Lord, because we know, we know when we understand who you are and you've done for us. When we understand, Lord, what it means for you to become human for us, we can also find strength and joy to live like you. So help us in all our weaknesses. We cannot do this without you, but because of your strength and because of your help, we have confidence. Thank you, Jesus. In the name of mighty Christ, we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. All right, let me, let me open up with a quote, okay? Um, some of you who are superhero freak know this quote, okay? This is what it said. You will give the people an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But in time, they will join you in the sun. In time, you will help them accomplish wonders. Anyone, any guess where this quote comes from? Superman. This is what Jorel said to Kalel. Okay, if you know what Jorel, Kalel, what's that? Kalel is the actual name of Superman. So this is what his dad, his actual dad said to him. And, and this is very powerful. This is what he said. This is what the quote said. My son, Jorel, I mean Kalel, you will give the people on earth an ideal to strive for. I mean, the people on earth, they need hope. They need some kind of idea. There's some kind of future hope that they can hold on to. And you will be that ideal. You will be that glimmers of hope, Kalel. And I'm sending you to earth to lead the people of earth into a better humanity, into a better future. And then they says this, they will race behind you. But when they do that, they will stumble. I mean, you know, human, they will fall. They will make mistakes. They will not be able to follow you. But don't worry, Kalel. In due time, in due time, they will also reach where you are. So what this quote is saying is this, Kalel, Superman, you will enable the people on earth to accomplish wonder. You are that glimmer of hope that the earth is waiting for, okay? And then, and then this quote is amazing. Like, you can be forgiven to think that this is what God the Father said to Jesus in the Bible. I mean, this is, sounds like something that the Bible would say about Jesus, right? Like, people need hope. But then, we know that this is not, this is not Jesus. This is Jarel to Kalel. And this is great. This is a great quote. However, there's one problem with this quote. This quote says this, Superman, that you will help the people on earth to accomplish wonders. There's a problem with this. Can we agree that Superman is strong, right? We agree that Superman, he can do pretty much anything he wants, correct? Superman is one of the greatest superheroes. I mean, like, if you watch Justice League, right? The moment he appears... Like, what the heck is the other heroes been doing for the last two hours of the movie, right? Just give them Superman and the movie's end. He's that strong. He can do wonders. But now, the problem is this. He said that you will help the people accomplish wonders. There's a problem with this theory. Why? Because Superman, no matter how strong he is, no matter how awesome he is, he's not human. He's Kryptonian. He's Superman. He's different from us. That's why. He cannot help us accomplish wonder. Superman can do wonders, but he cannot help you accomplish wonder. In order for you and I to be able to accomplish wonder, we need someone who is exactly like us. 
We need someone who know what we know. We need someone who felt what we felt. We need someone who experienced what we experienced. And not only that, but we not only need someone who is exactly like us, but we also need someone who is better than us at the same time. Why? Because he needs to show us the way. He needs to show us that there is hope. That means this, we need a hero better than Superman, someone who is exactly like us, but at the same time, someone is better than us. And his name is, who is it? Jesus. So tonight we'll see that Jesus is better than Superman. And you'll start to, wait, it does not say in Hebrew that Jesus is better than Superman. That's my theory. Jesus is better than Superman. So let's recap a little bit, okay? Let's recap Hebrew chapter 1. What we do learn in Hebrew chapter 1? Okay? In Hebrew chapter 1, this is what we learn. In Hebrew chapter 1, we learn that Jesus is God. Okay, we learn that Jesus is not just another prophet, he's not just another messenger, he's not just another great man. No, in Hebrews chapter 1, it's clear that Jesus is the very reflection of God. He is the very being of God. He is God in flesh coming to deliver a better message that no other prophet, no other messengers can bring. And that message is himself. And not only that, Jesus in flesh, he accomplished his message. He said, I completed. I've done everything that I need to do. Therefore, Hebrews said, Jesus is highly exalted. He's reigning right now. He has a better name. He has superior status. He's stronger than angels. And he's sitting in his kingdom right now, in his throne. And his kingdom is forever and ever. That's Hebrews chapter 1. And then Hebrews chapter 2, the author says this, Now, do not neglect this truth. Okay, stay, stay, stay in this truth. Listen to this. Understand who Jesus is for you. That He is God. That He is for you. He's reigning. He did everything that you needed to do in order to achieve salvation, to give you hope. He done it completely. Don't drift away from this message. Hold it. Obsess over it. Focus on it. That's Hebrew 1 and 2. And now, Hebrew, that the one that we read today, the author will change his focus. Because this is the question. Okay, this is the question. If Jesus... It's raining. If Jesus is king today, why is life so dang hard? Tracking? If Jesus is reigning, if Jesus is king, and we believe he is, if he's sitting on the throne right now, reigning over the universe, why is life so hard? Isn't that the question that we ask today? I mean, there's a lot of questions that I have, you know, studying from studying the Bible. And one of the questions that continue to bewilder me is this. Why does a good and powerful God allow evil and suffering? Have you ever asked that question? Why does a good and powerful God allow evil and suffering? Because you see the world today and you say like, yo, Yossi, you say God is king, you say Jesus is on the throne, but let me tell you about my life. First, why is my parents divorced? Or why is my dad ran away with other women? Or why, why is my brother had cancer? Or why is my sisters get raped? Or why did my, past, my, my parents get bankrupt? Why did my boyfriend left me for another girl? Why did my girlfriend cheat on me? We ask this question. We, then we, 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 we find it hard to believe that Jesus is God and He's good and He's powerful. So the logic goes like this, okay? And this is the logic against Christianity. This is this. God cannot be both good and powerful at the same time. Either God is good Oh, God is powerful. Because the logic goes, goes like this. If God is powerful, that means he can do all things, correct? If he can do all things, he can get rid of suffering, right? But the fact is, suffering exists. That means God is not loving to do it. Or the other option, God is loving. God is filled with love for you and me. 
He wants you to be free from pain and suffering. But the fact that pain and suffering exist, there's only one explanation. What? God is not powerful enough to do it. Have you listened to this argument before? People will continue to use argument against our understanding of God. Because Christianity, we believe in powerful, all-loving God. We don't choose one or the other. We believe both God is powerful and loving. So the question is this, the question of the day. If God is good and powerful, why does he allow pain and suffering? My answer, I have no idea. But, but, but the Bible does give an answer. The Bible does not answer the question why, but the Bible does give you the answer how you should survive. How can you survive in pain and suffering? The answer is three words, okay? Remember this. How many words? Three. Look to Jesus. Can we repeat that? Look to Jesus. Okay, let me make it longer. I'm going to cheat a little bit here, okay? Not only look to Jesus, but specifically look to Jesus because he is your champion and your brother. So if you're going to doze out for the next 40 minutes, just remember this line. What do you learn in church today? Look to Jesus because he is your champion and your brother, okay? I'll take the next 40 minutes explaining, but remember this. If anyone asks you, what do you learn in church today? Jesus is my champion. He is my brother, okay? So throughout the book of Hebrew, you'll continue to find this rhythm. You'll continue to find this rhythm. You look to Jesus, look to Jesus, focus on Jesus, meditate on Jesus, almost to the point of boredom. And, you know, there's this cliche that people say, and every time anyone asks you a question in church, the right, I mean, if you do not know the answers, always say, Jesus, you will never get it wrong, right? Whatever question it is, if this question is asked in church, just say Jesus. No one can say you're wrong. But the book of Hebrew will go further than that. The book of Hebrew will show not only Jesus is not the wrong answer, the book of Hebrew will tell you why Jesus is the right answer. You see the difference? Not only Jesus is not the wrong answer, the book of Hebrew will show you that Jesus is the right answer, and he will tell you why Jesus is the right answer, okay? Three points. I only have three points today, but it's a bit long. The first point is this, the tension that we live in. The second, the hero that came. And the third, the hope that we have. First one, the tensions that we live in. I'm going to read from verse 5 to verse 8. Let me read it for you. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Okay, stop there first. This is massive, okay? I need, you to, I need you to follow me. This is extremely massive, but this is really, really important for us to understand. And this, this gives us the framework to understand pain and suffering in our life. So this is what it said. That God has given authority to someone to govern the world. And that someone, according to the book of Hebrews, is not angels. Angels, they're cool. They can do many things. They're awesome. They're beautiful. They have light. It's cool. But God has given authority to rule the world, not to angels, but to whom? Okay, I know you're tempted to say Jesus because Jesus never the wrong answer. But in this case, it's not Jesus, okay? In this case, the, the author of Hebrew will give us the answer. The answer at this point is not Jesus. Eventually, it will be Jesus. So you're not wrong. So if you answer Jesus, you're not wrong. But at this point, he will tell you the answer. Who? 
This is what he said. Has God given the power, authority to govern the world? This is what he said. Verse 6. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? What is happening here? The author of Hebrew is actually quoting Psalm 8. Psalm chapter 8. Now, if you were here last year, you know I preached on Psalm chapter 8. It's about who? Human. So this is what the book of Hebrews says. That the power to govern the world has been given to who? Human. To you and me. And so this is actually a copy or a rephrase of Pastor Sam's favorite verse. Now, how many of you know Pastor Sam's favorite verse? I hope you do. Okay. Genesis, how many? What? One. First. 27 to 28. Okay, this is his favorite verse. We're going to read it. Genesis 1, 27 to 28. Okay, this is what it says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on earth. Okay, follow me. So this is what happened in the beginning. When God created you and me, God says this, I want you to have dominion. I want you to have power. I want you to rule over the world. I want you to govern over the world as my representative so that whatever you do will be the reflection of my power. So go, subdue it, have dominion. Do, do whatever you want. As long as you know whatever you do, you're accountable to me. So that's the promise of Genesis 1, that God created you as the apex of creation. You know the word apex? As in the best, the prime, the most ultimate thing in creation, it's you and me. You are designed to be just like God. Can you imagine that? You and I are designed to be just like God, to rule over the world. But there's a problem, okay? There's a problem. So the book of Hebrews says this, you are crowned with glory and honor. But when I look at myself, when I look at myself in the mirror, I don't see this happening. I mean, seriously, you rule over the universe, like the world is subjected to my feet. I don't see that happening, right? I mean, you have, all you have to do is look at your neighbors, man. Look at, look at them right now. They're a mess, correct? Especially if a husband and wife are like, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, but they're a mess. They're a mess. So how can we, as a human, be a reflection of God's image, be a, be this, have this all-power dominion to be like God when I look to my right and my left and they're a mess and we read newspaper, right? Rape, theft, corruption everywhere. And then we also find natural disasters, earthquake, tornado, typhoon, and we're like, where on earth is this promise that the world is subjected under my feet? I don't see that happening. I mean, you don't even have to look far. All you have to do is look at you. There's no one who lied to you, hurt you, and disappointed you more than yourself. Correct? Like, seriously, I've been telling myself, next week I will return to the gym for three months. And I will say, I will still say the same thing to this week. I will return to the gym next week. <laughs> I don't even have a control over myself. And now the Bible said that the world is subjected under my feet. I don't see that happening. What is the problem? Let me tell you the problem. The problem is this Adam and Eve. So, Psalm chapter 8 and Genesis chapter 1. 
is actually a promise, first of all, to Adam and Eve, the first human. So when God created Adam and Eve, God says this, you're going to be my viceroy. You're going to be my representative that you will reflect my image. So us, we are not created. Human are not a product evolution. We are not apes that become smart. No, we're not. We are created in the image of God. He designed us to be exactly like Him. He gave us power. And then this is what happened. This is what God, uh, Adam did with his power. Adam decided he knew better than God. So he decided, well, you know, God, mm, I don't really need you. I can do it on my own. And when Adam did that, sin entered the world. Pain and suffering entered the world. And ever since that day, we live in a world filled with pain and suffering. We were made to rule over the world, but the world rule over us today because of who? Adam and Eve. So let's blame them. Adam is because of you. We were doomed. And I love this. The Bible does not try to shy away from that fact, okay? So the Bible does not, okay, just pretend everything's good. No, the Bible says this, okay? In first, at the end of verse 8, he says this, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Gen, uh, Hebrews 2 verse 8. We do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So it, this is what the truth about the book of Hebrews. He says this. Even though you are created to govern the world, today when you look to your right and left, you do not see it happening. Correct? You do not see you rule over the world. However, he does not stop there. Verse 9. He continues. He says this. But... Okay, the word but means is what? Contrast, correct? So, you do not see the world subjected under your feet, but you see something. What do you see? We see him. Now, who is this him? It's not obvious if you read your Bible, but when you study it, when you read the Greek, it's obvious. The him in here is no longer us. It's a different him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of that, so that by the grace of God, He might taste that for everyone. So this is what the Bible says. When you look with your physical eyes right now, you do not see the world subjected under your feet. You do not. You see the world filled with sin and corruption. But at the same time, you do see something. What do you see? Jesus is sitting on the throne. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. Jesus, who was made lower than angel, namely became human. He tasted that for everyone, that now he reigned. He's seated on the throne. So there are two things that we see. We, first, we do not see the world as it's supposed to be, but at the same time, we see Jesus on the throne. Okay? And there's a word for it. I'm going to teach you the word. The theological word for this is this. The already not yet aspect of the gospel. The already not yet aspect of the gospel. I'm going to read you a quote by Al Mohler. He's a very, very smart man, a lot smarter than me. This is what he said. The kingdom of God and the reign of Christ are in some senses already inaugurated, yet we are still waiting for the kingdom consummation. Let me repeat that. It's mouthful. The kingdom of God and the reign of Christ are in some senses already inaugurated, yet we are still waiting for the kingdom consummation. Okay, I'm going to put it in word pictures because I know most of us, we understand word picture better. Okay, imagine this. 
Imagine. Imagine you are extremely hungry. You're starving, okay? Some of you, well, I am starving right now, Cole. Imagine. And imagine you use, I don't know what you use today. In Indonesia, we use Gojek. In here, maybe you use Deliveroo or Uber Eats or all the roo, 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 okay? You, I don't know what you use today. Imagine, imagine you're starving. You're starving. And then you have this, I mean, seriously, us as Indonesian, man, let me just tell you, Gojek is life. Once you taste the beauty of Gojek, there's no escape. Gojek is life. If you do not know what Gojek is, don't start it. Okay, Gojek is life. So now you're very hungry. You're starving. And then what do you do? You open your Gojek application. You find the food that you want to eat. You pay with Gojek money. And then you wait. Correct? So now in the season of waiting, you experience the already not yet tension. This is what I mean. You know at this time you're hungry. Oh my gosh, can't wait for my food to come. But at the same time, you know, you know, you know that you know, Gojek is coming. I was about to tell my sermon, Gojek is coming, but no. Okay, Gojek, you know Gojek is coming. Even though you're hungry and you're, oh my gosh, I'm starving, I'm about, I'm about to die. There, but there is hope that you know because I know Gojek is on its way. I know right now I'm hungry, but there will come a time where we'll, I will swallow that burger and I will taste all that flavor in my mouth and I will enjoy and praise Gojek even more. Why? Because Gojek is coming. Tension. In the same way, but much greater way. Jesus is Right now, Jesus already paid the price. He purchased all the price for you and me to reign together with Him. Done at the cross. Done. He's already reigning right now in heaven, sitting in the right hand of God the Father. But the consummation of the kingdom, the fulfillment of it is coming. And right now, you and I live in the already not yet tension. And that's why we experience, still experience pain and suffering even though even though Jesus is already on the throne. Are you with me? That's the first point, the tension that we live in. But the second one is even better. The second point that we can learn from this passage is this, that we have a hero that came. A hero that came. I'm going to read from verse 10 to 13. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Okay? This is my fault. And when I first read it, I'm like, what the heck is this verse is saying? But I hope I can explain it clearly to you. This is what happened. Now that we know that Jesus seated on the throne, now that we know it's clear that Jesus is coming again, that he will make things right, and we're living in the tension, the author of Hebrew will draw your attention to humanity of Jesus. 
Because because before this, we learn about Jesus is God. Jesus is king. Jesus is divine. He's all the way up there. He's supreme. But now, he shifts our attention to think about the humanity of Jesus. Why? Because if you understand what Jesus has done for you as a human, then you can accomplish wonder. Because remember, Superman cannot help you accomplish wonder because he's different from you. But Jesus is not. He's exactly like you. But at the same time, he's better than you. He's 100% God and 100% human. And you ask me, how is it possible? My answer, I am clueless. But that's what the Bible teaches. Jesus is fully human. Two things that he accomplished, okay? Two things that this passage teaches that Jesus accomplished as a human. First, Jesus is our champion. Can you can we repeat that? Jesus is our champion. Okay, the word champion, I got the word champion from first 10. If you read first 10, there is a word there called founder. If you read your ESV Bible, say Jesus is the founder, correct? Founder. Now, the word founder in Greek is actually the word archegos. And many, many English translations have difficulties in translating, translating this word archegos. So some translations go author, some translations go forerunner, some translations go captain, some translations go the one that we have right now, uh, founder. They don't know what to do with this word because this word does not have equivalent in English word. But let me tell you what the idea, the idea that it communicates is this, that Jesus is our champion. Now, when we talk about champion, we talk about someone who won a battle, a competition, or fight, correct? But Jesus is not just a champion. Jesus is our champion. What does it mean? It's like this. When it regards to the thing that you love, that you personally love, love sometimes you put yourself in the equation. Let me give you an example. If, you, if Manchester United won the game, I will not say to Edric, bro, Manchester United won. No, I will not say that. You know what I'll say? Bro, we won. Right? Why? I mean, I don't even kick the ball. I don't even play the game, right? But we won. Somehow, I feel like I'm involved in the game. Why? Because I'm emotionally there. Even though Mourinho does not even know that I breathe. It's not, it doesn't matter, but we won, bro. We won. Why? Because somehow, I feel like Manchester United represent me. When Manchester United won, I won. Manchester United lose, I lose. That's how I felt. But in much greater way, Jesus the same way. But he's not only what you feel. He really won the fight as your representative. There's one beautiful story in the Old Testament that reflects this. Story of David and Goliath. Okay, I'm pretty sure all of you know the story of David and Goliath, right? Let me give you, if you don't, let me give you summary. So what happened in the story of Goliath and David and Goliath is there's a war between two nations, between Israel and Philistine. So what happened is this. So Philistine sent out their champion. So their champion will come out, and this champion by the name of Goliath came up to the front. You know, he's big. He's probably five times bigger than the biggest man that you ever met. He's strong. He's a man of war, and he has these big weapons. And then he began to taunt the people of Israel. I am the champion of Philistine. Where is your champion, Israel? Because now, if you know any battle in those days, a lot of them when they do battle is they do battle between champions. Each nation will send a champion to fight another champion. So now Goliath come up to the front. Goliath stand as the champion of Philistine. And Goliath said, where is the champion of Israel? I want to fight him. And all the soldiers of Israel are like, nope, not me. Not me. Okay, not me. He's too big. He's too strong for me. I can't do it. I can't do it. Pick another one. Pick another person. For many days, 
they waited for Israel to have champion. Until one day, a little shepherd boy by the name of David come. And what did he bring with him? A slingshot and five stone. That's all he did. He's a little boy. Come, I am the Israel's champion. And Goliath's like, are you serious? Man, you're tiny. You're small. I can eat you alive. But David, with one stone, with one slingshot, he killed Goliath with a single shot. He killed Goliath. And when David won, Israel won. Why? Because David won the battle as the representative of Israel. And if that's the end of the story, that's awesome, okay? Imagine that. So Jesus won the battle on our behalf. Jesus won the battle on our behalf. He fight for us. He's our champion. But if that's the end of the story, that's not enough. Why? Because if you read the story of David and Goliath, what happened after David won? You know what David did? David cuts Goliath's heads, and then he declared a victory. I won! And do you know what happened next? The soldiers, the Israel soldiers, begin to make their move. They begin to pick up their weapon, and they begin to fight. Why? Because they saw a man who is just like them. One. If David was a superman, it will not happen. If Jesus was not human, was superman, you know what we'll do? We'll cheer Jesus on the sideline. Oh, Jesus, you're so fine. You're so fine. You rock my world. Oh, Jesus. Right? Oh, Jesus. That's what we do. But the Bible says it's because Jesus won as a rep- as representative, as a human. So Jesus is not only our champion, but Jesus is exactly 100% like us in every way. He is our brother. Because of that, because Jesus can win, now I can win. And this is what happened in the story. So the Israel pick up the weapon and begin to fight the Philistine. Jesus is not only their champion. Jesus is not only our champion. Jesus also our brother. And if that's the end of the story, I'd be happy. But Jesus did so much more. So much more. Let me tell you. See what Jesus did. Imagine you've been bullied every day at school. Okay? Imagine you, you've been bullied every day at school. People make fun of you. People mock you. People beat you. People tell you names. And people just occasionally, you know, they trash you and stuff like that. Imagine that happens in your life. And one day, as this group of people harass you, one day your older brother comes. Your older brother comes, and he drove off every bullier that bully you. So he fights them, he punches them, he kicks them, and everyone begins to scatter. And your brother comes to the rescue. You know what you feel? You feel like this, my brother, my champion. You'll be very happy, won't you? I'll be very happy. Well, I know it doesn't usually happen in real life between brothers, but... You'll be very happy. You'll be like, oh my gosh, my brother, my champion. I'll be, I'll be very happy. But now the question is this. What will your brother think about you? Right? I'll be very happy to have my brother who's strong and massive. He's my brother. He's my champion. But now the question is, what will my brother think about me? He's, my brother has every right to be ashamed of me. Has every right. Okay? 
One of the things that um, really annoyed about my middle high, junior high, and my high school is this. I went to the same school as my sister. Okay? She's a couple of years older than me. And a lot of the teachers used to call me Debra's younger brother. That's annoying. I have a name. Okay, they call me Debra's younger brother, okay? Debra's brother. And the thing about me and my sisters, we're very different, okay? She's the smart one, the diligent one, the pretty one, the, you know, all the goody-goody one, you know, the teacher's lover. And I'm me, I'm the BMI, barely made it one, you know? So they used to call me Debra's younger brother, and it kind of annoyed me to some degree because I know the connotation that it involved to be called my sister's younger brother. And to make things worse, uh, one, I, I, I'm convinced, even though I do not know for sure, I'm convinced today that one of my athletic teachers used to have a crush on my sister. That's why he was so nice to me, right? So I'm being called my, my, my sister's younger brother. And I'm annoyed because the connotation, like, she's all, you know, goody-goody, I'm the bad one. But I think if I was in my sister's place, I have every right to be ashamed of me. My brother, look at him, he keep making a mess. He can't do anything right. Seriously? Oh, after all these years that I built my reputation as a, the goody-goody, he ruined it all. I think my sisters have every right to be ashamed of me. And when we think about our relationship with Jesus, I think it's safe to say Jesus has every right to be ashamed of you and me because we continue to make mess. Continue continually making mess after mess. But this is what's amazing. You know what happened in the story. It goes like this. Jesus says, I am not ashamed to call them my brothers. Do you know what it means? It means this. Even in our weaknesses, in our frailties, in all our downside, Jesus says this. He came to the rescue. He saved you. He brought you to his side. He looked at you in the face. He grabbed you by the collar and said, you are my brother. I'm not ashamed of you. In fact, I am proud of you. That's the point of first 12 and 13, where Jesus declared in front of God the Father, in front of congregation, he says, this is my brothers. I am not ashamed of them. Even though they continue to make mess after mess after mess, I am their older brother. I am their older brother. I am their champion. And I'm not ashamed. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having the king of the universe? I mean, seriously, have you ever thought about that? That God, Jesus, actually the king of the universe? Yet he lowered himself. He became lower than angel, became human, and became exactly like us. Okay, you know, there's a lot of stories that, you know, king pretended to be commoners in order to get to know his people. You know that story, right? It's everywhere. Jesus did not pretend to be human. He does not. He became human. What does it mean? He was hungry. He was tired. He felt what you felt. He experienced what you experienced. He suffered the way you suffer. All the things that human experience, Jesus experienced. He's 100% human. That's why he can say to us, now, I am their brother. I am their champion. And now we'll show them the way to wonder. Why? Because he's not just God. He's 100% human. If human like us can do it, 
That means what? You and I can also do it. Why is it important? Third thing, the hope that we have. The hope that we have. There are three things that this passage teaches us about the hope that we have in Jesus. From verse 14 to verse 18. Is that what the Bible says? Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through death of uh, fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. There are three things. Three things that Jesus purchased for us as human, okay? Three things. First, future hope. Second, past hope. Third, present hope. Let's talk about the future hope first. The first thing that Jesus purchased for us is the future hope. What is future hope? Future hope is this. Jesus, as a human, died the death of human so that he defeated the one who has power over death. Let me explain. Today, we live in an era where technology advances extremely fast. I mean, seriously, have you thought about it? I mean, you can get to the other side of the world in a matter of hours, right? How? Flying. Plane, of course, not flying you, flying. Will be one day, maybe. But through plane, we can get to the other side of the world in a matter of hours, correct? Today, today, you can talk to someone on the other side of the world in a fraction of a second. That's why long-distance relationship become possible, right? If, if, not, if not, if that day does not happen, Josh will be still single today, right? <laughs> but because it's possible, because it's possible, because it's possible, because of technology, we become more advanced. And then there are many diseases that was deadly 20 years ago. There was no cure 20 years ago. Today, it treated us nothing. Seriously, oh, just get injection, you'll be fine. But 20 years ago, it can kill a whole village. Yet, with all this advancement, with all this technology that we have in our hand right now, there's still one problem that we cannot solve. Do you know what that problem is called? Death. Last time I checked, everybody died. Businessmen die. Poor men die. A beggar die. King die. A priest die. Your parents will one day die. You will die. Everyone without exception one day will die. Death is coming for you and me. 100% money back guarantee. But this is what Jesus did as a human. He defeated the one who has power over death. How? By dying. Because Jesus came as a human, now he can die. And because Jesus died, the other Hebrew said, he defeated the one who has power over death. Who? The devil. Why? Because think about it. Because Jesus defeated the power of death, today you and I, we don't have to fear death. Right now, the way we live right now, if that's not possible, 
If Jesus does not defeat that and resurrect it again, if Jesus does not show that there's a world to come, that we will reign in the world to come together with Him, if Jesus does not show that to us, if Jesus did not die and then resurrect it and show that He's sitting on the throne of God right now, if He does not show that, that means this, our understanding of the world is right here and right now. Correct? That means that is the end of everything. So the best you can do is maximize your life here and now. And that will create a lot of problems. Because now you will be extremely selfish. YOLO, bro. YOLO. You only live once. Make it best. Do everything that you want. But by defeating that, Jesus showed, come on, there's another world to come. And in that world that is to come, you and I will reign forever and ever. So that's why if you're a Christian, you have no reason to fear that. Why? Because in the world to come, you will reign. So that is no longer something to be feared about. That is an entrance to something so much greater. The future hope, you and I don't have to fear that. That is an entrance to something greater. But not only that, that's the future hope. Now let's talk about the past hope. Jesus not only gave you a future hope by becoming human, Jesus also gave you a past hope. What does that mean? Passover is this, by becoming human, Jesus removed the wrath of God from you. The word for it, for it is propitiation. I don't want to talk in detail about it because Pastor Sam will talk about it on Sunday. And in latter passages of Hebrew, in Hebrew chapter 7 and 8, we talk a lot about that, the word propitiation. But what it means is this, you and I, we have a debt against God. A big debt. At the one that we cannot pay. And you know what happens when you have debt with someone and you cannot pay? You try to hide from that person, correct? The more debt you have, the more you will try to hide, correct? And this is what the Bible says. You and I have a debt against God. It's called sin. Sin is not borrowing $5 from God and for God to pay back. That's not sin. Sin is actually you saying to God, God, I don't need you to be king. I can be king. Sin is treason against God's kingship. So you say, I don't need you, God, to be king. I can be king. I can rule my life. I can do whatever I want. This is my life. It's up to me. I can do whatever I want. When you do that, what happens is the real king, the one that's sitting at the throne, is angry at you. He's angry. The wrath of God is coming for you. Because why? Because you take over his place. You try to be king, even though you're not. So now God is angry at you. And by becoming human, by dying at the cross, this is what the Bible says, Jesus absorbed the full wrath of God upon himself. So that whoever trusts in Jesus, whoever trusts in his name today, God will no longer angry at you. God said, well, come, come. Because why? Someone has paid the debt. You no longer have to hide. You claim, you claim, you can come. And the third thing that he gave us is a present hope. And this is the most beautiful one. The present hope says this, because Jesus became human, he can help us when we are tempted. Because Jesus suffered the ways we suffer, he felt what he, we felt, he experienced what we experienced, Jesus can help us when we are tempted. Okay? Let me give you an illustration. Illustration works best. Imagine some of you in this place, women, you are in labor. Okay? You're married and you're about to give birth and you are in labor. And then 
what do you do? Okay, this is what I heard. I don't, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard that um, when woman in labor, it can turn an angel into a temporary devil. I don't know if that works. We'll see when the time comes. So when you're in labor, you're in so much pain, right? You're so much pain. You become a temporary devil, and your your husband is worried. So your husband did what every other husband every husband will do. They call their pastor. Why? Exorcism. Okay, no, 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 not exorcism, but you know, to offer help. Um, so me being your pastors, I come to the hospital, and I saw you know you like, and you're screaming, and you're in so much pain. And your face is all blue, and your husband's panicking. You know, I don't know what to do. Pastor, help me. Can you cast the demon out? I don't know what to do. So I walk into the room, and I saw you in pain. I hold your hand, and I say, look at me. Trust me. You get over it. All other women out there have shown us, you get over it. Okay? Don't worry. Okay? Don't make life harder for your husband. Stop becoming a devil. Be a wife. Come on, be strong. You can do it. Every other woman do it. You can do it. Stop making... You know what will you do to me? You'll probably choke me in the neck and you're like, you man, you don't know what I feel. You caused me this pain. What are you talking about? Right? That's what you will do to me. You'll probably want to kill me because I have no idea what you feel. But imagine if a woman walked into the room, not me, a woman, and not just any woman. These women have given birth to 20 children before. <laughs> and these women hold your hand and say, I know what you're going through. I've felt it before. I experienced it before. I know how hard it is. I know the pain that you're experiencing right now. The labor. I know it's painful. But let me tell you, the joy that is coming is so much greater. How do I know? I've been there 20 times. I know how it feels. Come on. So you can do it. You can endure it. You can do this. You can hold on to the end. I know you can. You know how you, what you feel? You feel comforted. You feel joy. Because why? This woman know what you know. This woman felt what you felt. This woman experienced what you experienced times 20. So now you know, okay, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be fine. In the same way, Jesus say, I know exactly the pain that you feel. I know exactly the temptation that you're facing. I know exactly the suffering that you suffer right now. But let me tell you, I've been there. And I mean, let me tell you, I've, been, I've entered the joy of my master. I've entered the joy of my father. And it's all going to be worth it. So come on. In this tough time right now, I know you can do it. I know you can do it. Because think about it. No one injured greater temptation and suffering more than Jesus. None. Because Jesus suffered and tempted as human, but never failed. Which one harder? Suffering the temptation, enduring the temptation of eating KFC for a few days and giving? Or enduring the temptation of eating KFC and never giving for the rest of your life. Which one harder? For the rest of your life. And Jesus perfected that. That's why the Bible says Jesus was made perfect through suffering. It does not mean Jesus was not perfect. It means this. Because He suffered and tested and tempted the way we are. Yet, 
he won. Perfect score, complete. He proved himself perfect to be our champion and our brother. So my friend, I don't know what temptation that you're facing right now, because we all do. We experience pain, suffering, temptation every day. But listen to the word of Jesus. Look to me. I am your brother. I am your champion. I have been through what you've been through, and I won. And you can win as well, because I am just like you. Let me finish with a quote. I started with a superhero quote, so it's only appropriate. I end with another superhero quote. This is what the quote says. He's the hero God some deserve, but not the one it needs right now. Anyone? Where does this quote come from? Dark Knight. So, as Batman flee the scene and being haunted by police, he said, he's the hero God some deserve, but not the one it needs right now. I was, wow, this movie is amazing. Let me tell you, we have a better hero. Why? Because he's the hero that we do not deserve, but we desperately need. And that hero, rather than fleeing the sin, that hero fled toward us in our mess. And he said, I'm holding your hand. I am your brother. I'm not ashamed of you. Come on, let's do it together. We can. I was human. I know what you feel, but I want so you can. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the thing that we just learned today about you in your humanity, maybe some for, for many of us it's just a concept, but I pray, Holy Spirit, that you make it life in our heart. The hope that we have because you enter this messy world as a human, in flesh. You experience the weakness that we experience. You experience the pain that we experience. You know what we are going through, even in so much more than we ever does. Yet you conquered, you won. And because you won, we can win today. So help us, Lord, in our weaknesses to look to you, to hold on to you, to look to Jesus, our champion and our brother. And I know, and I know, I know. And I know that I know that I know that you will not fail us. And for some of you today in this place, I know some of you, you come to church, maybe you're a church girl, but you never give your life to Jesus. Everything that I talk to you tonight, especially the three hopes that we have, that God is no longer angry at us, that we have future, present, and past hope, this only applicable for those who trust in Jesus. But if you do not trust in Jesus, this is the truth about you and me. If you do not trust in Jesus, there's a wrath of God coming for you. If you do not trust in Jesus, if you do not put your faith in Jesus, then this world is it. And the next world, you will not reign with Him. Next world will be disaster for you. Because there will be eternal judgment. And you will not be able to face temptation today. So my friend, my encouragement, if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus Pray that the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and enable you say, Lord, I want to believe. I want to put my faith in you. So help my unbelief. And for those of you tonight who are facing many temptations 
And for many, many times, you feel like, okay, the temptation is just too strong. It's just, you know, I can't do it. I'm just weak. My flesh is too weak. Tonight, the encouragement for you, enemies, is look to Jesus. He is our champion. He won where we cannot win. But he's also our brother. He's exactly like us. Yet he won. So look to him. Hold on to him. And continue running. Because he's with you. And he will enable you to win. So we ask this in your name. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's turn to our feet as we worship.